Okay. Are we ready to uh, do some reading? So turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read uh, verses 13 through 16. This is the Parker version, so uh, it's an it's a, uh, eclectic putting together from 15 different ones, I don't know, something like that. Okay, Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. These all died in faith without receiving the promises, but seeing them from a distance and welcoming and greeting them and admitting that they were strangers and nomads on the earth. For those who say such things make clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they remembered that land from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they aspire to a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed of them. He's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, these are our fathers. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, our great-grandmother Sarah, and path to follow them. And we're on that path, a path of faith, step by step, in obedience to you as far as we can see. And Lord, we know that we see through a glass dimly, but we see, and that's incredible. So Lord, we pray, I pray, Lord, that tonight we would see more. And in that seeing, we would, we would greet it, we would welcome it, we would embrace it, and we would confess that we're strangers and nomads, and we are seeking a better country. So Lord, open us up, open your word to us, and bless it, Lord, for your glory and the good of humankind. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to get into these verses, but I wanted to, I, t I told Christine before I came in here, she had a question a couple weeks ago when we were looking at Enoch, and she jumped ahead to verse 13, and I just didn't answer her because I knew we were going to get to verse 13 here tonight. So let me uh, just quickly, this is what she said. You know, if you look at the first part of that verse, it says, these all died in faith without receiving the promises. And she says, well, isn't Abraham in heaven right now enjoying all those promises? And well, the verse says the opposite. So the answer is no, but we don't want to just leave it like that. We want to talk about it a little bit. So it's briefly. I'm not going to get wrapped up in it. I'm going to go through this very quickly. I'm going to tell you a lot of verses that you need to go look at if you want to do some homework, okay? So what was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That's the question, what was promised. And in order to see that, you need to read the following passages. So I'm going, to re I'm going to read them off real quick. If you don't write them all down, you can come and see me afterwards. I'll give them all to you. But here they are. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. Chapter 13, 14 through 17. Chapter 15, 3 through 21. Chapter 17, 1 through 8. Chapter 22, 15 through 18. Chapter 26, 2 through 5. Chapter 28, 
2 through 15. Now, I was going to sit down and make a matrix and really get into this and make a matrix, a thorough matrix, and I just never got the time to do that. But I'm going to list here what, I, what pretty much captures it all. There might be a few missing. Here's what these verses include. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great name. You will be a blessing. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you, I will curse. Kings will come from you. All the nations of the earth will be blessed in you and in your seed. To you and to your seed I will give the land. Your seed will be as the dust of the earth, the stars in the heaven, and will be multiplied exceedingly. You'll be a father of a multitude of nations. And then this one is mentioned in these verses, and I, it's one of my favorite. God will be God to Abraham and to his seed. Now, you have to ask the question, having heard those, is Abraham and his seed enjoying all those things yet? And the answer is no. Okay, so look at, at the end of this chapter. Lowell's going to be covering these verses, so I'm not going to preempt it, Lowell, okay? Verse 39 and 40, he says it again, he reiterates. So it's not just the ones that we've just read through, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Enoch, Abel. He says, verse 39, And all these, having had witness born to them through their faith, received not the promise. Why? Because God has having provided some better thing concerning us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So here's what it says, in essence. Think about this. We're all going to arrive at the same time receiving all the promises all together. They're not going to be perfected apart from us. When we're perfected, they're perfected. We'll all arrive there at the same time. Go up to verse 35, and this gives you a, a little window into it, and I'm going to go through, through this very quickly again. It says, Some women received their dead by a resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their deliverance. Here's the, here's the key phrase. That they might obtain a better resurrection. The Word of God is crystal clear on this point. Brothers and sisters, one of the most critical doctrines in the Bible, the great foundation doctrine, is our blessing all comes in its fullness in resurrection. We're awaiting resurrection. It's a great thing. Paul, at the end of Acts, all the time pointing out, uh, he's, he's on trial for what? Because he believes in the resurrection of the dead. There may be some partial fulfillment to Abraham's seed that has been, that's happened. But all these, very clearly, they died in faith, not receiving, okay? So the time is at the second coming of Christ. When all of us get resurrected, we receive our rewards, and, the, and the, those that are going to get punished get punished, and the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. 
If you look at Matthew 16, 27, the Son of Man comes in His glory to render to every man according to His works. 1 Corinthians 15, the premier section in the Bible about resurrection. It's at the last trump that the dead, that the dead will rise and will put off their corruption and mortality and put on incorruption and immortality. Till that point, nobody's wearing that. I don't debate, we're not debating about what happens. I'll talk about that in a second. But until that point, none of us will be immortal and incorruptible. Okay? In Matthew 22, verses 22 through 33, 23 through 33, this is that great little passage where the Sadducees come testing the Lord. And the Sadducees, it noted, Matthew noted, they don't believe in resurrection. And so they wanted to trick the Lord. And they said, well, this guy had his wife, and he happened to have six brothers, and he died. And so as Jewish custom, she gets to go to the next brother to raise up seed, offspring. And he dies, and then all of them die. So here's the problem, Lord. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? What did the Lord say? You do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. And then he quoted... God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How many times does it say that in the Old Testament? In fact, in the New Testament. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then the Lord said this, He is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And he used that as his text proof, his proof text, to prove resurrection. If God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He is the God of of the living, declaring there will be a resurrection. Are you ready for that? I'm looking forward to that. He's not the God of the dead. The location of the full fulfillment. Think back, go back with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. It's already been mentioned. The fulfillment is not in heaven, in the interim state right now. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. He says, for this, he says this, For not unto angels did he, co- did he subject the coming inhabited world concerning which we are talking about. There's a coming inhabited earth. You get that? A coming inhabited earth. In chapter 6, verse 5, he's going through that chapter talking about all the things that the children of Israel in a fashion tasted before they got into the good land. And he says this in verse 5, that we have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of what? The age to come. The age to come. Psalm 2, verse 8. Psalm 2 is quoted a number of times in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 2, in the second Psalm, verse 8, listen to this. The father says to the son, whom he is, he's made a priest, a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He says this, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. In chapter 2 of Daniel, how many know what happened in chapter 2 of Daniel? It's that Nebuchadnezzar has that dream, that huge statue rises up. He's desperate. Nobody can dis- tell him what it is. So he calls everybody. He's going to kill everybody. No, nobody could tell him because he wouldn't tell them the dream. 
And so he's going to kill them all. So Daniel and the, and the other three, they come through. Daniel has the, the repeat of the same dream. And here he gives the interpretation. Listen to what he says here. In, the, in, chapter, in verses 34 and 35, he says this. You saw a stone cut out without hands. What did it do? It smote the image at the very bottom of it and turned it into chaff like the summer threshing floor. And then he said this. And that stone became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. Verse, chapter 7, verse 27. The kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of the heavens, that means on the earth, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. I'm just rattling off a few verses here. Hope you're following. Matthew 5, 5. The Beatitudes, number three, the third Beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Say that again, please. Thank you. Thank you. Chapter six, the model prayer, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Yeah, see the issue's not in the heavens, the issue's here. Revelation 5, verse 9, the big scene. I believe this is the inauguration in the heavens of the Lord Jesus getting ready to come back. That's my take on that. And it says this, this is one of my favorite verses. You are worthy because you by your blood have purchased men and women out of every people, tribe, tongue, and nation. And you have made them to be kings and priests to your God and they shall reign over the earth you know there's a lot of songs about going to heaven and stuff like that but if you look at the scripture and you examine the scripture it says this much about this life it says a whole lot about this life it says a whole lot about the age to come. A whole lot. Lots. It has about this much on the state between death and resurrection. There's some debate on, on what goes on. I have my own view. If you want it, come get it. I'll talk to you later. I'm not going to tell you what it is up here. But that's because the Scripture spends very little time. It's focused on this life and the age to come when there will be the kingdom of God on this earth and open manifest glory with the nations and sub submission and righteousness and peace kiss. I'd like to be there. I, I intend to be there. Okay. So now let's go to our text. Christine, how was that? Okay. Think about those verses. Wrestle with them. If you've got questions, we can always talk. The verses we're looking at tonight, these are great verses. These all died in faith without receiving the promises. I love these little words, but. But seeing them from a distance and welcoming them and admitting, greeting, they were confessing that they were strangers. In one of the translations I read, I really like this term, they were nomads. So there's three things here. Three things that they did. 
They didn't receive the promises, but they did this. First, they saw those things from a distance. There was a seeing. Okay? We happen to be a little closer than they do, but we're still seeing. We haven't received the promises in their fullness. I don't know about you, but I still have got this mortality kind of hanging on me. And also, the even worse thing is it's corruption. You find that in your heart anywhere? There's still a fair amount of corruption hanging around this place, in us and outside of us. Okay? They welcomed or embraced them. It's not just seeing, it was an embracing. That was the second thing. And that seeing and that embracing produced a third thing. It says they admitted, confessed, acknowledged that they were strangers and nomads. Now the seeing implies the engagement of the mind and understanding. It's not just a glance. It's not just kind of you're driving down the road and you, something catches your eye and you zip past it. It's a looking at it intently, engaging the mind and saying, what is it that I'm looking at? What is it that I'm seeing? What, is the, what are these promises? You know, the writer of Hebrews, other writers in the New Testament define them a little bit more than what we have in the Old Testament in the words that we've got back there. There's nothing that says that Abraham was seeking a city, but he was seeking a city. It engages the mind. So when the mind is engaged, if the mind likes what it sees, we do something called welcoming it. We welcome it. This word is a kind of a fun word. It means to express greetings. Upon meeting someone, it's a welcome to greet, to be happy about. If we see something, we see these promises, there is the embracing of those things. And then comes the confession. It's used a couple times. This word is used a couple times in Hebrews. It focuses on, like Kevin was talking about last week, that produces. So that seeing and that embracing produces a certain confession. And it produces a step of faith and obedience. And it produces the testimony, the confession of being strangers and nomads. Let me ask you this. What's a stranger? Now, it... If somebody walked in here and they were a stranger, what would they be? Somebody you don't know, right? You don't know them. I know, at least by face, I know, I pretty much know all of you guys. Let me see, I'm checking it out here. It's kind of hard to see up here. Yeah, I think I know you guys a little bit, but not a whole lot. One of the things about a stranger is, how many have ever traveled to a foreign country? Raise your hand. Okay. Did you speak the language very well, easy there? What did you feel like? You were a stranger there. One of the marks of being a stranger is that you're in a place where they're not talking your native tongue. Right? I've been to Spain. I've been to Italy. I've been to Germany. I've been to France. I've been to uh, India. I'll tell you what, <laughs> in every one of those places, except for the people that could speak English, I was a stranger. 
Here's, here's, my, here's my expertise at Burmese. Menglava. That's it. There ain't nothing else. That's, I see how well I know the language. That makes me a stranger there. Not native. Okay, emphasizing foreign. Let me ask you a question. Think about it as we keep talking. Understand what I'm saying here. Is today's language foreign to us? The way that people talk, the way that they express themselves, is that a foreign language or are we really comfortable with it and we're right in the middle of it? And that's the language we speak. And I'm not talking English. I'm not talking a... I'm talking the language of the world. How foreign are we to them and them to us? That's just a good question. Think about it. A nomad. A nomad. How many, you know, know... how many know what a nomad is? So, you know, it's those wandering tribes, Bedouins. Uh, others, there, there, there are still some up in the uh, Asian plateau. They're, they migrate all over the place, and you really don't know where they are. Okay? They're nomads. They're passing through. Where they're living right now is temporary. Last week, I thought it was great. Uh, Kevin talked about the life of the tent and the altar. How many times is it mentioned Hebrew in in Genesis, the life of the tent for those guys? You said about 14? More than that. that. Isaac and Jacob, yeah. Just a life of the tent, emphasizing the temporary. It really is. We're, We're in a temporary situation here. Look at verse... 14, it says, those who say such things. Now, it didn't mention in the preceding verse, verse 13, it didn't mention what they said in words. What it's talking about is what did their life say? What did their actions, what did they were, that what, how they were living and what they were doing is what said something. For those who say such things make clear This word here, make clear, is the word where we get the word emphasize. That's what it is in the Greek. Their lifestyle and what they did, their life of being strangers and nomads, emphasized a fact. They were looking for a homeland. Actually, the word here is actually fatherland. They were looking, and they weren't seeing it. You know, how, how, how much did they travel? You know, Abraham went down to Egypt. Jacob went down to Egypt. They went all over the place. And they didn't find what they were looking for. Okay? They were seeking a homeland. Our seeing of these promises, just like them. Here's what the author of the Hebrews is saying, of Hebrews is saying. They saw something. In that seeing, as they pondered it and thought about it, they embraced it. They welcomed it. And that produced a confession before everybody of a life of a stranger and a nomad. That's what happened to them. And so I would ask, I'm asking myself this question. If if you were to look at the sum of my life, 
the things I do, the things I pay attention to. You know, you can tell a lot about all of us if you just come live with us for a while. You can see a lot. Take, go a day, go follow me to work, do this, do that. You would see over time exactly what kind of person I, I am. And you can see it by what I emphasize, right? What I focus on, what brings my attention, what I'm caught up with. It makes a clear statement. Look at verse 15. It says this. And if they were to remember that land from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Now, they, they never did. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, except for Jacob going back to get himself a wife, never went back to the place they came out of. Especially, they never went back to Ur of the Chaldees. That's where originally Abraham came from. He went up to Haran and camped out there for a little while. And then he left and went into the land of Canaan. So let me ask you this. What occupies our thinking? What occupies our focus? We've gone out. You know, one of the things that I believe the Hebrew writer is looking at, he's referenced it several times, is He's reflecting back to the Hebrew believers on their heritage from the children of Israel. And he's reflecting back on the fact that the children of Israel came out of Egypt. He doesn't describe anything of the things that occurred in Egypt. Notice that. He doesn't also take any time to uh, expound on anything that was happening in Canaan. All his time is spent focused on the wilderness journey. What happened with the children of Israel in that journey? Time after time after time, you know, when we're going in, uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, mentioned the fact that in Numbers 13 it says, God told them, ten times you guys have defied me. Ten times. I think it's ten times they were wanting to do what? Go back to Egypt. Why? It says this right here. If we're remembering, if we're spending time reflecting back on what was. And notice, you know, they were very good at not remembering the bad things and just remembering what was really a fantasy. The leeks, the onions, the garlics, so how much they didn't, you know, they didn't have this rough weather and all this terrible stuff. And they were reflecting back on that situation. And when you do that, because that has your attention, what do you do? You go there. Wherever you're focused on, whatever you're looking at, whatever has your attention and you're greeting, that is what you go for. And so here, the writer of Hebrews is noting very clearly that if they had remembered from whence they came, they would have had a chance to go back. But the fact is, they never did. They never did. Verse 16. But now it says... They aspire to a better land, a better country, a heavenly one. It's the word that's used here, aspire, desire, exert effort. You know, to me recently, a lot of this stuff is coming to me. One of the things that I believe the Lord is speaking in my heart is the word intent. How many times have we heard that when we're talking about this book, Hebrews? The word intent. It's intentional. That what we do... We ought to make it intentional. 
this is not just we're kind of in the flow. If you're in the flow, uh, you're probably in the flow that's going downstream. The tide of this age, the, the wind that's going that way. A better country, one that is heavenly. And coming back to address Christine's question. The word, it's a heavenly country, doesn't mean that's where it is. It's not talking about location. It's talking about the source, the origin, where it derives its culture, its language, its, all, all its stuff. It's a heavenly country. What were the first things that John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus said when their ministry started? Anybody remember those first few words that they said? Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of the heavens has done what? It's right here. It's coming. God, you look at the scripture again. God's always trying to come here. He wants to come here. The last vision in the Bible, chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation. I saw a new heavens and a new earth and the new Jerusalem. And the new Jerusalem was coming down from God out of heaven to the new earth. That's what it was doing. God wants to come here. God wants to have a dwelling here. God wants a kingdom here. And he's going to get that. And really, the, most, the thing I'm most enamored with, impressed with, um, occupying my thoughts is this last phrase. Therefore, God is not ashamed. Do we really, you know, I admit, I don't think a lot about that. You know, the Apostle John in his first epistle, he said this. He says, we need to be in a certain way so that we're not ashamed before the Lord Jesus at his coming. You know, it's very possible to be ashamed before him. I don't want him, I don't want to be ashamed, and I don't want him to be ashamed. I know a lot of you guys, how many have had teenagers at least one time in their life? Okay, yeah, right. You know, and I admit, especially my, not my girls so much, girls just don't seem to do that too much, but my boy, and then later on when I got two adopted boys, you know, sometimes I was just, I was ashamed to be their dad. I wanted no association made between them and me. And, and believe me, right? It was the opposite way, right? Dad, go stand over there. You've seen this. You know, drop me off at the corner five blocks from the school. Why? Because I don't want to be seen with you. That's a little joking way, but listen to this. As we walk as pilgrims and nomads, seeing these promises out there, embracing them with all our hearts, and being urged, I really like that when Kevin was sharing that last week, this, that's the urging, the seeing and the embracing brings an urge to me that causes a step, and my life becomes a life of a nomad and a stranger here to this current culture, this current world. The whole world lies in the evil one. And I'm impelled to go to that. That's what I want. That's what I focus on. That's what I'm going for with 
everything I've got. Now, I know I sometimes fall or anything, but it's going to be an amazing thing to me, brothers and sisters, that God is not ashamed of them to be called their God. I think this is one of the biggest, um, I did several studies on this and I still felt I was just barely touching it. From beginning, from cover to cover, this thing is about God's desire to have a, really, a real people he can call his people and a people that call him their God and it really is true. You see what I'm saying? That's, isn't that incredible? He's my God. Really, not just words, not just uh, uh, teaching I have. It's really he's my God. Why? You can see it in how I live and what I'm doing and how I'm walking. And that's what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all about. And that's what we need to be about. And I believe that this description he gives here of a better country, a heavenly country, and a city is, if you will, it is the summation, the composite that includes all the promises. To arrive at that country and to arrive at that city in resurrection, in glory, is to receive all the promises. So let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for the testimony of these men and women in Hebrews chapter 11. And also thank you for the testimony of so many of your children throughout the ages, even some we've known personally, Lord, that have lived this life of a sojourner and as a nomad. And they've walked this path with you because they saw what they saw by faith they embraced it, they received it, they welcomed it, and they made confession by their very lives that they lived. And so, Lord, we want to follow in those steps. Every one of us here, I pray for that. Lord, that we would see more and more, we would welcome these things, and we are waiting. Lord, we are waiting and seeking that city whose builder and maker is God. Amen. So any thoughts?